Well, I got a question for you. Now, it may seem harsh, but it's not intended to be. The question is, why are you still poor? Now, we didn't give any parameters for what that means, but if you consider yourself poor, why is that? Why in this day and time, living where you do, are you still poor? We're going to talk about 28 ways to stay poor. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome into this edition of 48 Days of Radio. Hey, if you're new, welcome in. We've got a lot of people joining us every week, people from Lots of different countries. It's interesting to see those pop up. But thanks for being here. 48 days. 48 days means you can change your life dramatically in 48 days if you create a plan and execute it. I'm the author of the book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. That's the title. We go through questions about real life situations having to do with work and life and how you can do both better. So some of the questions of what you'd be thinking about today. Now, typically, I'm answering listener questions. I'm going to prolong those. I'm going to come back to those again next week. I got a whole bunch of those in a hopper. I'll come back to those specifically. But I promised last week that we were going to talk about 28 ways to stay poor today. So here's some things I want you to be thinking about. Is it your thinking or your circumstances that are keeping you poor? Number two, are your friends pulling you toward success or are they pulling you down to their level? Number three, is the current economy holding you back or giving you new opportunities? And number four, how many other people could do the work you're doing now? Now that's important. You'll see it framed here in, as we go through some of these 28 ways to stay poor. Our quotation today comes from Emmanuel Mollett who said, do something that other people don't want to do and do it well. Now, you probably never heard of Emmanuel Mollett. I know sometimes you haven't heard of the person whose quotation I give here. You probably haven't heard of Emmanuel Mollett. He was an Amish gentleman that I knew that our family knew well, who stopped school after the fifth grade. Now, listen to how I framed that. I did not say he had a fifth grade grade education. He would not have ended up as a multi-multi-millionaire if he had a fifth grade education. He had an education that was more valuable than that of a Harvard MBA, but he only went to school through the fifth grade. Be careful how you frame your education. That's one of the things here that's going to be a key for how you view where you are and what you think your opportunities are. But keep in mind, education happens in a whole lot of places other than a classroom. So don't say, gee, you don't have a college degree, so you'll never work. You didn't finish high school, so you're embarrassed about that. Certainly opportunities aren't going to show up for you. No. Look at your education in a new way. I have granddaughters who have never been in a classroom, but who have an education that positions them for any kind of success they want. Now, the three granddaughters who live here close to us in Florida, if you ask them, they've never been to school at all. They have totally been, one of them's 15 now, they're 15, 12 and 10. So they've never been in a schoolhouse, 
But believe me, they have a rich education. You ask them, where do you go to school? They say everywhere. Who's your teacher? Everyone. That's their worldview, and that's how they learn, continue to learn. Well, our resource for today is Acres of Diamonds. And this is a resource we've had for a while, and I want to direct you back to it because it's a wonderful, wonderful story. It's only 48 pages long. we got a free document for you. If you go to 48days.com slash acres, you'll find it there. But it's that wonderful, wonderful old story about a gentleman who, being poor, went off looking for riches, went off looking for, you know, diamonds and the diamond mines, never found those. And ultimately, it turns out that the farm that he sold to somebody else, his little old poor decrepit farm, uh, had a little creek running through it where they found lots of diamonds. A wonderful, wonderful story in 48days.com slash acres. And if you're already a subscriber to our weekly newsletter and the resources we have, it'll ask you to put your name in. That's okay. Just go ahead and put it in anyway. It doesn't matter if it's a replicate. I just did it a minute ago, put my name in, which is put in hundreds of times. But uh, just go there because it'll unlock that document that takes you right to acres of diamonds. Again, only 48 pages long. I encourage you just to sit down and read it. Read it with your kids. It's just a great reminder that sometimes our opportunities are right under our nose rather than having to go somewhere else or get another degree in order to unlock them and find them. Now, I want to set this up a little bit here, the, how we're going to look at these 28 ways to stay poor by uh, talking about Charlie Munger. Charlie Munger is a partner with uh, Warren Buffett. You know him from that, you know, again, uh, very, very wealthy because of what they've done financially. He talks about one of the thinking mechanisms that he uses that is added to his success exponentially, and it's called inverse thinking. Just turn your problems around in reverse. Now, Charlie's infamous for uh, saying, all I want to know is where I'm going to die, so then I'll never go there. So that's, a, that's kind of a, an example of that. But this inversion is the practice of thinking through problems in reverse. So um, I mean, Warren Buffett also uses a, a similar kind of inversion technique to make his business investment decisions. It's like he doesn't focus on how to make more money. He focuses on how not to lose money. And in doing so, makes a whole lot of money. So here's here's kind of an example. You know, don't say, how can I help the poor people in Haiti? But ask instead, you know, what's hurting the people in Haiti the most? What's the most damage that's being done? How can I avoid that? Now, you can do that with any problem you're having. And I'm not saying this is the only way you can approach an issue at all, but it's an interesting way, and we'll just have fun with it here today. So what do you want to avoid? I mean, it frequently works better to approach the problem from reverse. So I've been working on uh, getting in the best shape of my life physically. And I really am. I'm thrilled with where I am and uh, things are working really well. So I could approach that by asking, what could I do to be in terrible shape? All right. Th those things are pretty easy to identify. I could eat fatty, high caloric, high carb foods. I could eat too much, you know, just big quantities. I could skimp on my sleep convince myself I can get by with five hours of sleep a night. I could sit at my computer all day without taking any breaks. I could criticize, condemn, complain about the world and other people. I could look for the negative in people. I could be paranoid about thinking that other people are out to harm me. I mean, I can watch too much TV. I can keep going on to that. Those are things I could do to be in terrible shape. So if I identify those, then all I have to do is do the opposite. I mean, the same thing. How could I destroy my marriage? Well, it's pretty easy to identify 
the things that I could do to do that. And then so if I don't do those, it's going to add to the success of my marriage or my health or whatever I'm trying to accomplish. Now, again, this isn't the only way to approach solutions, but we're going to have fun today taking this one shot at how to stay poor. And our brains really are better at finding problems than they are at finding solutions. So we can take that clear ability, define the problem, then flip it around to see the solutions. Now, I heard these 28 Ways to Stay Poor on a podcast. It's Alex Harmozzi's podcast, The Game. I'm going to take it right from him. So that's where I got these 28. I probably would have put them together a little bit differently. Uh, Some I take a little bit of issue with, but that's okay. I've just for simplicity's sake, we're going to just go right through them. And here's how I want you to approach these as well. I want you to be prepared to identify the two or three that you disagree with or the two or three that irritate you most. But really, I'm going to also encourage you to be ready to take action on every one of these as you break your own patterns for staying poor. So here we go. Let's jump into these 28 ways to stay poor. Number one, start tomorrow. Or whatever it is that you want to do, just put it off until tomorrow. it's, It's an easy way to see that nothing's ever going to happen. So that's it. Start tomorrow. Number two, read lots of books and then do nothing. Now, you know, I read lots of books and I absolutely love the process, but I'm not just reading to put them on a list or stack them in my office. I mean, the only reason I read is to discover new ideas that I can experiment with and implement. I mean, really, I mean, I I can't identify much of anything that I've ever done that didn't come from reading a book about that idea first. I mean, that's been without question my greatest source of inspiration and guidance. So don't be guilty of just reading for reading's sake. I mean, maybe instead of reading 12 books this year, you ought to read one and really dig deep in it. Go look at the references. Get more information about the author. I mean, make sure that if you're reading, and I encourage you to be doing so, that you aren't just reading for reading's sake or to check it off the list, but that you're looking for those nuggets where you can implement things. When I read, I highlight a lot of things. I use a little post-it notes on the side so I can pull a book off the shelf that I read two years ago and see quickly what are the eight or 10 things that really jumped out at me in my first reading and how can I use those again? In preparation, going through the list here, I pulled several books off the shelf that I knew would add other kind of tidbits to the points that we're going to be going through here. So that's number two, reading lots of books and then do nothing as a way to stay poor. Number three, and a list of how to stay poor, take advice from poor people on how to be rich. Now, I talk a lot about being selective about who you're spending time with. And I use the quotation from Jim Rohn. You're all familiar with that. You become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So if you're spending a lot of time with people who go pick up lottery tickets every Friday, you're likely to think that's your best shot at becoming rich. I mean, if you're getting advice from somebody working at Starbucks, you're not likely to believe you could be a millionaire. If you work with people that are making $20 an hour, they're likely to think your big idea is stupid because they would never risk taking that kind of a chance. So be careful who you're taking advice from on how to be rich. Are they doing well themselves? I mean, if you have a financial planner who rolls up to the office in an old 
you know, ratty car and has holes in the bottom of his shoes, he's probably not somebody you want to work with in terms of doing your financial planning. Number four, pick a spouse who will make you feel guilty for working. Now, again, this is from Alex's list, and I kind of cringed when I first read this. Pick a spouse who will make you feel guilty for working. Well, the, the, the interesting thing is, a lot of times when we get a spouse, we don't know that much about whether that person is going to support us in what we want to do 10, 15, 20 years later. It's pretty hard to know that. I mean, you have your dreams, uh, and someone is criticizing you for spending a weekend making and selling kettle corn at a street festival as your way to kind of start a little side business and get ahead. Well, that can, that can be tough. I mean, now, whenever I've been starting a new business, I always promised Joanne I'll create our needed income before I work on my next dream business. So when I was starting our auto accessories business, I first focused every month on buying and selling a couple of cars. We were in a college town. I knew I could do that easily, but I did that before I focused on the new business I was starting. When I started coaching, you know, which I do now, I had a little business selling advertising where I could make a decent income in two weeks of any month. So I did that first, first part of the month, and then I switched to the new business I was building. Now, it's not always that uh, Joanne thought those were great ideas, but she supported me in wanting to do them. I mean, Joanne would have been totally content if I had just gotten a job somewhere and brought home a reasonable paycheck. I mean, she never knew the kind of lifestyle that we're living now and um, certainly just had only seen her own parents, you know, just with jobs where they got a paycheck. But she also knew that model would drive me crazy. So she allowed me and, and supported me in chasing my wild ideas, even times when it made her uncomfortable she certainly supported me. So pick a spouse who makes you feel awesome about working. You know, in The Millionaire Mind, uh, Thomas Stanley's book, incidentally, we are, well, let me, let me finish the thought there. In that book, The Millionaire Mind, it says, people who stay married for the full term till death do us part tend to be unselfish, caring, forgiving, patient, understanding, disciplined, and virtuous. So thus defines some pretty great qualities that you would want on a spouse anyway, but if that spouse will support you in doing things that are maybe untried, unproven, that may take a little more time for a period of time in your own life, you know, that will open the door dramatically to your being able to be successful. Now, what, what I started to say there, The Millionaire Mind, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. It happens to be one of the 12 books that we're going through this year in our 48 Days Eagles community. Last year, we spent the entire year going through one chapter at a time, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. This year, we're touching on 12 different books, and our book for August is The Millionaire Mind, which I'm thrilled about. I go back to that book. That's one of those that I pull off the shelf again and again and again, understanding the thinking, the characteristics of people who ultimately became millionaires. All right, let's keep going here on our list. Number five, fail once and quit forever. How many times have you seen people do that? They started something, ah, oh, it didn't work out. Well, I'm never going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. You know, in one of my books, I relate the story when I was 18 years old, poor farm kid getting ready to go to college. I got a grant to go to the Ohio State University. And um, it was, you know, a grant, meaning I didn't have to pay it back. I never had any college, student loans, but a grant. It was $1,800. Well, being a little entrepreneur, even back then, 
I thought, wow, that money's not going to be due for a couple of months. I can turn that into more money by investing it in something. So I purchased, based on seeing an ad in the back of one of the little magazines about how to get rich, I suppose, purchased 10 cashew machines, hot cashew machines, meaning they were plugged in and kept the cashews warm. Now, what could be more appealing than warm cashews? And they, of course, promoted them in the ad where I didn't have to do anything. You know, they'd come place the machines for me, and all I had to do is go around and collect that money. Well, true to their word, they did. Now, the guy who came down to meet me in Mansfield, Ohio, and place those machines was uh, not the kind of guy that I was used to being around. I think he was uh, perhaps a little tipsy when he showed up, and thus uh, proceeded to place those machines in pretty sleazy establishments. But he did place them, and they were my machines. Well, I started getting calls from the owners or the proprietors of the, the businesses that we placed those in really quickly saying, hey, you need to come get these things out of here. Guess what happens to cashews under heat if they aren't turned about every 12 hours? They start to mold. That's what was happening. So we had inebriated customers getting moldy cashews, not too happy. I went, you know, embarrassed. I just grabbed those machines, never placed another one anywhere. I hid those things in a chicken coop on our farm. My dad never knew to his dying day that I had them. Ultimately, I just sold them for essentially scrap metal. And when the $1,800 came due for tuition, I had to get out and hustle again and uh, come up with the money. Now, here's the, here's the deal. Did because of that, did that stop me from ever risking an idea again? My goodness, no. I've done hundreds of things since then and some things that are very similar to that and not every one of those has been a winner. But in doing that, having those cashew machines, it kind of tickles me that now one of our biggest profit centers is our online personality profiles, the disc we use. We have companies. I just saw yesterday we had a company in California that just made a $2,000 purchase on that. Now, I have nothing to do with that. Nobody had to back a truck up to a warehouse and go deliver cashews to a machine anywhere. It's all electronic. They just reload the quantity of profiles that they have that they use in their hiring process, and it puts money into our account. So it's all electronic, but it, in essence, is still a a vending business, a vending machine business. It's just done based on the technology we have now that we didn't have then. But I learned from that early experience. That's what I want you to see that as well. You know, don't fear failure, you know. And of course, around here at 48 Days, we never experience failure. It's an impossible ending. No matter what we've done, either you succeed or you learn. I heard somebody the other day say, either you win or you have a great story. Just frame it as such. Don't don't say, gee, I failed. Say, oh, wow, guess what I learned when I did this and it didn't turn out well. So don't fail once, quit for other, fail, fail once and uh, learn how to fail again because it'll increase your success path dramatically. Well, number six, and ways to stay poor, think that the world is fair. Now, with our inversion thinking, I mean, just go ahead and assume the world is not fair and then act accordingly. Don't expect it to be fair. It isn't fair. So don't expect that. It'll help you in realistically planning what you're going to do to move ahead. Well, let's go on. Number seven, blame your circumstances. I mean, complain about things you can't control. Now, one of the, one of the books that I learned from was The Big Leap 
by Gay Hendricks. He talks about the upper limit challenge. You may just believe you'll never be anything but poor. I mean, no one in your family's ever really been successful. You don't have a college degree. Uh, You're pretty shy, so it's never going to happen. Wow, you're already 50 years old, so you probably missed your opportunity. Those are nothing but upper limit thoughts. Upper limit thoughts. You know, we, we see this played out if we have a a young guy who grows up in the ghetto in Mississippi, but wow, he's got a really great throwing arm for football. So we bring him to Nashville, Tennessee, give him a $10 million signing bonus with the Tennessee Titans. And you know what often happens? Six months later, he spent the money and more. He's made decisions that have ruined his opportunities for a career, and he's back where he came from. Now, what happened there? The opportunity was all there. It could have should have put, put him on a different path for life, but his sense of deserving did not match the reality of what he was given too quickly. We see that played out a lot, people who win the lottery. You know, we know that seven years later, most of them are back to where they were and worse than before they won the lottery. So that's upper limit challenges, upper limit thinking. You know, you could, if you say, I'll never be wealthy because, you know, maybe you could finish that statement in 10 different ways. But if that's you, just realize that's a head game. That's an upper limit thinking problem, not anything real. You got to change your thinking. So before it all, so don't blame your circumstances. Be careful about pointing your fingers outward at what is really, a, you know, what is the reason for you staying poor. Nah. And then um, when your circumstances bring you those challenges, I mean, don't resent the things that are making you stronger, smarter, and more successful. I mean, we have to go through challenges in order to grow, to experience new levels of success. And in the Bible, in James chapter one, it says, uh, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy for when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. I mean, that's how we grow. Well, number nine, expect the government to save you. I mean, how did we see this play out even during COVID? I mean, people waiting on those subsidy checks or wishing for unemployment checks instead of seeing that things were changing. I mean, things they're never going to go back to the way things were, but there are new opportunities exploding all around us. Don't expect the government to save you. If you have that as your plan, you're never going to be wealthy. Believe me. Number 10, value the opinion of others over your own. That's an excellent way to stay poor. Let's say that you want to, you want to be a writer. I mean, when do you become a writer? Well, it's the moment you say you are. <laughs> and then thus we could also go to this, you know, when, when are you rich? I guess the moment you say you are, when are you successful? I mean, I think back Earl Nightingale who said success is the progressive realization of worthwhile goals or worthy ideals. So that means if you want a college degree, you're successful as a junior in high school because you're experiencing the progressive realization of that worthy ideal. Success is is a process. It's not an outcome. And hear me well on that. It's a process, not an outcome. Number 11, avoid discomfort. Change is uncomfortable. Risking a new venture is uncomfortable. Avoiding change means your life is going to stay exactly as it is now. So don't be afraid of discomfort. That's the way through something better. Number 12, tolerate mediocrity from yourself and others. I mean, you don't want to do that. I mean, hold a standard of excellence for whatever you do. Well, number 13, make promises and break promises. I mean, you make promises to yourself or other people and then break them. 
you know what's going to happen? You'll lose respect for yourself, and you'll also lose respect from others. Just look at what is it you could do to go beyond what you promised yourself. If you say you're going to do something, how could you go beyond that? If you promise at work that you're going to deliver on Friday, could you turn it in on Wednesday? I mean, what could you do to keep your promise and more? But if you find yourself breaking promises to yourself and others, you're you're not going to be wealthy. You're going to end up poor 10 years from now. Number 14, wait for perfect conditions. Again, we're talking about ways to stay poor. Number 14, we're halfway through here. Wait for perfect conditions. You aren't happy with your art project, so you just keep working on it. You aren't happy with your book manuscripts, so you just keep working on it, even though you've been doing that for seven years. I mean, I see people, I mean, being an, being an author, I encounter a lot of people who are writing, and I say, wow, you know, what are you writing? Well, they tell me, and I, well, gee, that's great. When you get it finished, well, I'm not sure, you know, don't have a deadline. I'm just kind of working on it. How long have you been working on it? Well, seven years. Are you kidding me? Why don't you throw it out and start on something fresh? It's probably outdated if you've been working on it that long. Uh, one of the quotations that I've got that uh, I came up with years ago is, perfectionism is not so much a desire for excellence as it is the fear of inadequacy showing up as procrastination. So that idea about thinking, gee, I'm a perfectionist, I want to just get it right, sometimes it's just covering up your fear of inadequacy. I mean, we hear that a lot. In the in the book, The Lean Startup by Eric Ries, he identifies a concept that he calls minimum viable product. That means just get something out there. Seth Godin talks about ship it. Steve Jobs, that used to be a mantra of his with Apple. Don't worry about it being perfect. Just get it out there. We'll perfect it over time as we hear from customers. When I get the first version of 48 Days to the Work You Love out there, it was a spiral-bound notebook that we had done at Kinko's. Very, very rudimentary format uh, had had nothing but just a times new roman font on the front cover and i i started making that available and people started buying them like hotcakes and then i had somebody who literally felt sorry for me because it looked so bad and he designed a nicer cover for me but the iterations that we went through with 48 days to the work you love before it became a, a traditionally published hardback book probably six or seven different clear versions of that that we had but we just got it out there Now, Reed Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn, says, if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you've launched too late. Now, think about that. If you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product or service, you probably waited too long. Well, let's take a quick insert here just to remind you. And typically, I'm answering questions from you, the listeners. Got a whole bunch in the hopper. I'm going to open up and go back to next week. We'll get into those again. If you got a question you want to submit or a resource you want to share with other listeners here, a lot of people do that as well. And just go to 48days.com slash askdan. You can leave your question there. And it's 48days.com slash askdan. All right, we're halfway through with our 28 ways to stay poor. Number 15, prioritize looking rich over being rich. Now, this is a classic practice of poor people. They want to look rich. Now, here's another way to look at this as well. I see salespeople who are notorious for confusing activity with accomplishment. Gee, they spent three hours with a prospect, but they don't identify, you know, two and a half hours are spent talking about golf. 
You know, don't don't think that just looking rich. No, I think it I think it makes sense to, you know, dress nicely, to, you know, hold yourself out as somebody who is already successful. I think that helps in your path. So I'm not talking about just wearing rags until the day you really are rich. No. I think you ought to look like you're successful. It'll help you in your perception about where you are and help other people see you as having credibility. You know, when I was coming out of a hole financially, I mean, I still had the opportunity to teach and to speak and to coach other people in that period of time as I was growing out of that. So certainly I didn't want to have to wait till everything was perfect in my own life. We've already talked about that. Don't wait for things to be perfect. But here's some of the things that I see in this category of, you know, looking rich over being rich. You know, I hear people talk about having 5,000 Facebook friends or 10,000 Instagram followers or 15,000 TikTok connections. Well, you know, that, that, that doesn't, uh, that, that's really not that impressive these days. What I want to know is how many customers do you have? What kind of revenue you're generating? How many of those Facebook friends are putting money into your bank account? Or is that just giving you bragging rights? There's a lot of people that are, that have big following on social media, but they don't have any kind of a business to back that up at all. I mean, you should be willing to trade 500 of those Facebook friends for one customer that you can serve in a real way. So just, you know, don't be concerned about looking rich. Again, in, in The Millionaire Next Door, Thomas Stanley's first book, he talked about that the characteristics of people who really are rich, a lot of times you wouldn't recognize them because they're driving you know, seven-year-old cars and they live in modest homes. Uh, they never spent more than $40 on a watch. Got some really interesting things in there where they don't flaunt their being rich. A lot of times people who are flaunting the big car, the big house, you know, the fancy jewelry, you know, they're, they're so heavily leveraged. They have no net worth. They're, they're uh, cash poor because it's all going out in their consumption, the lifestyle that they've chosen. Well, we've done enough on that. All right. Number 16, avoid working on what matters most. I mean, that's a great way to stay poor. Work on things that don't really matter. It's easy to get caught up in those things. Identify in what you're doing. What is it that really matters? What's really going to move the needle forward? Don't pat yourself on the back again just because you were busy, put in a lot of time. I mean, a lot of people are busy these days. It's kind of a badge of honor to be busy. But if you're busy doing things that don't really matter, oh, wow, then it's, it's hard to hold your head high about that. Well, 17, say you're going to do something and then don't do it. And it's pretty much like we talked about a little bit ago, you know, make promises and break promises, kind of the same thing. Number 18, do what everyone else is doing. If you're doing what everyone else is doing, you can't be in the 1% or the 3%. I mean, you're going to be in the 90%. You look around and see what that looks like. Is that what you want to do? I mean, be careful about just doing what everyone else is doing. Again, an old Earl Nightingale principle is if everyone is going in one direction, you probably need to go in the other direction. When our kids were young and they'd come home and say, well, dad, you know, everyone else is doing it. Ooh, they learned real quickly. That was not a good argument because our philosophy as as the Miller family was if everyone else is doing it, we need to do something else because it's probably not worth doing. I mean, everybody goes to McDonald's. Is that the best food available for you? Well, no. The fact that a lot of people are doing it, everyone is doing it, should make you suspicious. So don't do what everyone else is doing. Number 19, do your best. Well, that may sound like it's worthy, but 
a lot of people are doing their best when it's not really taking them to the place they want to be. Identify what does it take to get to where you want to be. That may be that you're going to have to do better than your current best. You're going to have to learn how to do something new. When I, when I, got a, when I went back to school for my graduate degree to get my master's in clinical psychology from Western Kentucky University, uh, they offered me a teaching assistantship. Well, that eliminated my tuition and gave me a monthly stipend, a monthly income. So it was a pretty, pretty sweet deal. The first day I walked down the hall to walk into that classroom full of college freshmen and teach Psych 101, I mean, I got sick to my stomach. I really did. But I thought, if I'm going to maintain this assistantship that gives me all these benefits, helps me go through debt-free to get my master's degree, I need to learn how to do this. I need to learn how to teach. So I took the Dale Carnegie course, the basic human relation program that teaches you how to talk about something you know about for two minutes with confidence. So I practiced more and more. I did teach those classes, took on additional classes. I mean, not because I wanted to be a great speaker, but I did want to be able to have, you know, intelligent conversations and to have a voice for making the world a better place. Now, the market doesn't care if you're doing your best. You know, what the market cares about what you ultimately will care about is doing something that's taking you to a destination that you care about. And that may require changing a whole lot beyond what is your current best. All right, number 20, we're getting ready to wrap up here. Talk more, do less. How many people do you know that that is identified like that? They're just big talkers. You know, they, they post about their goals. They talk about how much they're working. They show the highlights of their greatest moments, you know, rather than doing something significant. Just a lot of talk, a lot of talk. You know, there's a, there's a phrase from Texas, you know, big hat, no cattle. You know, somebody looks the part. Gee, they got a big pickup truck and a big hat, but no cattle. Well, that's kind of identifying those people who just talk, but there's nothing behind, nothing behind the, the, the screen. It's the Wizard of Oz. You know, there's just a, a ordinary guy back there pretending to be something bigger than he really is. Well, number 21, start something new today and then start something new tomorrow. Now, this is one of those again that I thought, wait a minute. You know, I kind of like that. I like change. I like to have things that are different. But what Alex is implying here is that things are left half done. Be able to start something. And we've seen this play out a lot. In these last few years, with the internet allowing people to gain notoriety pretty quickly in a particular area. I've seen people who have really become known for something. Now I won't use any specifics or give names here, but you can probably plug into some yourself because it's so common. Somebody has a little success in a particular area and the next week they're doing something entirely different. You know, they're just, they're, they're off to something new because they get the perception that they have the Midas touch, that anything they do is going to turn to gold. And a lot of them have figured out that's not really true. And now they're known for nothing. People, they've confused their audience and they don't really have anything that they stand for. So start something new today. Now, again, you can, here's how, here's how I've done that. The 40 days brand is the same core message that I've had for 25 years now. That same core message the basic message is figure out how God has uniquely gifted you and then figure out how to turn that into meaningful, purposeful, profitable work on Monday morning. That's it. That's the, the same. However, the application 
of that 48 days message has changed a ton. I mean, now we have things like digital nomads and electronic immigrants. We have all kinds of new work applications for what you do to apply that work once you figure out what it is you're going to do. But that same core message has been there. I've been interviewed a lot recently about that very thing. You know, how I've kept that brand so strong over that long period of time. Boom. You look at Dave Ramsey, you know, friend of mine for 30 years, same thing. His message is so simple. I mean, he's the first one to tell you that. It's just, it should be common sense. It's what your grandmother taught you. That same message has made him a whole lot of money. It's the same message. So be careful about just starting something and thinking, well, you can just move on. We've seen big companies do that. You know, car manufacturers who all of a sudden take on some new line of business and then discover that it really diminishes the focus on their brand and ultimately leads to their demise. Well, number 22, believe what other people think about you more than what you think about you. Now, again, I'm not dismissing the value of what other people say that ought to make a stop and think for sure. But again, depending on who you're around, who you're listening to at the particular time, be careful about giving that more credibility than it deserves. Ultimately, you need to know who you are, what you're all about, what your values are, what's pulling you forward, what your goals are, what you're going to accomplish, what you're going to leave as a legacy, how you're going to change the world. All right, number 23, make a mistake and then repeat that mistake. Now, you've seen people like this. They go from job to job to job and always have a terrible boss. Gee, they go from marriage to marriage and always have a rotten partner. Well, what's the common factor in this sequence? It's that person. You know, Don't be a person who just keeps repeating the same mistakes. Sometimes I, I think, wow, it ought to be embarrassing for somebody to sit here and tell me about every job they've had. You know, it turned out to be a disaster because the boss was an idiot. I'm thinking, wait a minute, can you not see that this has no basis in reality at all. The only common factor here is you doing the complaining, you deciding that the person was a, was an idiot. Eh, probably not that many external things that were the same. The common thing that is the same is you. So don't be that person. Don't just make a mistake and then repeat that mistake. All right. Number 24, be replaceable. Now this is, this is pretty interesting. The way, Alex framed this. You have to learn to do things that other people can't do. Now we come back again to the quotation I used today from Emmanuel Mollett, do something that other people don't want to do and do it well. Now what he did, again, went to the fifth grade in a family with a lot of kids. He started looking for things that he could do and he discovered he could, well, he could raise chickens. So he did that. Now that's not something that a lot of people wanted to do. He had some challenges with that. One of those being dead chickens, which is a big part of having a big operation. He needed to figure out what to do with the dead chickens, and so he started a garbage route. Well, he started not only to just take care of his own issue, but to take care of the same issue for farmers and other business people in the community. And that garbage garbage service grew dramatically. He took on other things like that. He just kept, he'd find little businesses that were not doing well. He'd buy them, and then he'd do things well. And those grew into businesses, very, very successful businesses for all nine of his children. They all have businesses. One of those, the reason I am fresh on the details here is a couple of weeks ago, my mastermind joined me here in Florida where I live and we reserved a room, had a private room at Der Dutchman, which is a really awesome restaurant owned by one of Emmanuel Mollett's children. 
So it's just one of the nine, but it is a business. They have six locations. One of them happens to be here in Sarasota, Dear Dutchman. But it's a do something other people don't want to do and do it well. If you're replaceable, now what Alex says is if you can get a degree to do a job, you'll never be irreplaceable. Anyone can be trained to do it. Find something that only you can do. Now, the marketplace has always shown us this. I mean, if you're asking people if they don't like paper or plastic, obviously you don't have any leverage to ask for more money because there's a thousand people standing right behind you that can step into that job. Now, one of the things that I talk about is finding your zone of genius. So identify what is it that you're doing where you're incompetent, just things that somehow you got tricked into doing, but shouldn't be doing. What is it that where you're competent, you do it pretty well. What is it where you're excellent? You do things really well. And that's where people most most people stop. They're known for that. That's what keeps the cash coming in. But again, it may be something that other people can do. What I want you to look for is your zone of genius. So go through incompetent activities, competent activities, excellent activities, and in your zone of genius. And incidentally, in handling those, the incompetent activities you want to eliminate. Competent activities, delegate. Excellent activities, systematize, great system for those. And then zone of genius, that's where you want to expand. That's where you want to grow. So you spend your time doing things that only you can do. If you find that, your zone of genius, you're more likely to open that door of opportunity that's going to lead to your wealth. If you're doing things that everybody else is doing, it's probably not going to happen. All right, just a few more. Number 25, find something that works and then stop doing it. Again, I kind of referenced this a little bit ago. You just get bored, move on, or think that, well, I was successful doing that. And I've been guilty of this in the past. Well, gee, pretty much everything I do is working pretty well. I can just go into anything. No, I've learned to be a, a little more careful on a front end. I mean, right now, we have a, a company, Eagles Innovation Group. We look for businesses to invest in. And I find that I'm very, very uh, cautious about making those decisions, asking a whole lot more questions than I would have uh, earlier in my life. But um, yeah, being pretty careful about where that's where, where that time, energy, and money is going to be invested. But don't just find something that works and then stop doing it. No, just find something that really does work and do it well over a long period of time. Number twenty six, he has here hire dumb people. I kind of cringed at that one too. Um, but you know, I find that sometimes people don't take the time they should to screen for good people. I mean, screen for people, interview in different ways. And we've got other information that deals with that. I've mentioned things in here like um, J.C. Penny taking somebody to breakfast early in the morning. For one thing, a lot of people aren't early morning people. You want to know who was. And then they sit down for breakfast. If the person puts salt and pepper on their eggs before it starts eating, the interview is over. He thought, here's somebody who makes decisions before they have all the facts. Well, there's a lot of those things, but uh, you want to hire good people. Now you can just hire bodies just to fill a room. You'll feel good and maybe even powerful, but you're always going to be poor. You want to try to find people who are better than you are at certain things. I mean, one of the things that works extremely well for me at this point with 48 days is there are things that I know nothing about in terms of the technology that we use, software programs that we use and all that, because I've hired people on our team who understand those things to make our business function at a higher level of success. They're not things that I understand. I want people who are smarter than I and a whole lot of things so I can stay in that zone of genius where it's only things that I can do and then delegate, systematize all those other things. Number 27, assume you're always right. 
don't do that. Stay teachable. I mean, I somebody commented recently, they were surprised to see me in a class that they were in. And that's actually a class on podcasting. But in as much as I've been podcasting for over 15 years, I still take a co- I'm taking a course right now that I paid for. I'm going through a six-week course on that. I've learned a ton of little things that I can do to refine podcast here and make it better. Um, I, I want to continue being teachable in that area. I'm actually taking four courses right now, courses that I paid for to learn from others. Do you know that the person who cannot read is no worse off than the person who refuses to read? Or the person who is unable to learn is no worse off than the person who refuses to learn. You know, I'm too busy. I know enough. I don't think anyone knows more about this than I do. I want to stay teachable. I tell people often, the day I stop being teachable, please uh, just dig a hole and push me in. Well, number 28, the last one here, make money and spend more than you make. Well, that's that's pretty self-evident there. Make money, spend more than you make. Just learn how to, this doesn't mean you have to you know, live on beans and rice forever. I mean, I, my, I mean, I know that there are people who talk about, you know, live like a pauper so someday you can live like a king. Well, I just want to live like a prince, but I want to do it all the whole way through. So we've always had, Joanna and I have always had a lot of fun, you know, a lot of vacations, a lot of experiences with our kids, uh, fun cars we drive, we try to be careful and judicious about making those decisions. But if you make money and then spend more than you make, you're always going to be poor. You got to reverse that and get money working for you. So you move into the area where you have money that's working for you, things that are working for you, making money while you sleep, the Swiss dollars I talk about, sales while you sleep soundly. But you want to work, change from just linear income where you do it one time and get paid once into things that provide residual income. I mean, things like you know having a business or real estate, or writing a book, having artwork. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do that'll do that. But look for ways you can you know, turn the corner on that and start creating residual income. So we've got 28 ways to stay poor. Now, obviously, you can reverse these things and you will succeed. I mean, that's the whole point. Reverse these and you'll succeed. It'll be unavoidable. So I hope you've enjoyed this. It's been a little bit different approach for me to do this, but I was so uh, struck by the magic of these 28 ways to stay poor. It's a method of thinking that I usually do not employ. I'm always thinking on the positive side, but it's, you know, we take the negative here. It's this inverse thinking. It's kind of, it was a fun exercise for me to go through this and just think through it in that way. So I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, hey, share this with a friend. I'd love for you to share this podcast with a friend to hopefully encourage them as well. They'll consider you more valuable as a friend if you share with them resources like this that helps them on their own success path. So again, it's been a joy. Keep those questions coming in. If you have questions you want to be included next week or upcoming episodes, again, just go to 48days.com slash askdan. We've got a lot of them in the queue there, but certainly eager to go through those. If I do choose your question, we answer it here on the podcast. I'll send you an autographed copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love. Happy to do that. Sometimes there are other little surprises in there as well. But thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks for sending in your questions, for being open to growing, being a powerful force, for making the world a better place, and for believing without a shadow of a doubt that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Don't stay poor. Hey, shoot me notes. Let me know 
if you consider yourself poor and what you're doing to walk out of them, how you're turning on its head. Go through these 28 ways to stay poor, turn them on their head, just do the reverse, and it's going to walk you right into being wealthy, living the kind of life that you want to live. Have a great week. Talk to you next week.